Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for joining us on the Toronto Today podcast. It's great to have you in on a Wednesday, January the 12th. A really busy show. We tackle some interesting concepts about ventilation, about N95s, about other masks from uh, Joseph Allen. I'm going to play you a clip uh, that he said to Aaron Burnett on CNN last night, so Tuesday evening, that is generating a lot of support with the boat potentially moving the other direction in terms of COVID becoming an endemic part of our lives. We wish it wasn't. It is. We've got to face some realities here, and so much of that is what we're dealing with right now. Karen Littlewood, the uh, OSSTF president, joins me, uh, and we'll talk about what teachers need to be safe but also feel safe. Those are two different things. And I think it's important to get a read also on uh, what the expectations are for Monday and having some good faith projections about what they might be. We're still five, six days out from the opening of school. Okay, there's time. I agree. December was kind of dithered away and a lot of mistakes were made. We can't do anything. We can hold people accountable for that for sure. But what's Monday going to look like? We get more of a sense by chatting with her. That and much, much more. The Toronto Today podcast starts now. We're going to get to this uh, vaccine issue in Quebec. Mandated vaccines for citizens of Quebec. It's probably unconstitutional. Unconstitutional can be deemed as illegal. But that seems to be a step towards mandating COVID-19 vaccination. I was alarmed Friday that the federal health minister suggested he personally supports this. I never heard that from Patty Haidu. I just heard her say not to travel, um, don't go anywhere after um, Canadian uh, liberal MPs and the prime minister traveled all over the country. Phew, 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 phew. Try to get reelected and get a majority government. I never, but I after that, like, just stop. Stop it with the travel, you people. Uh, but I found it concerning the health minister said that last Friday, and I am adamantly, firmly against this. I'm I'm all for some screw tightening of uh, pr- for private businesses to create consumer confidence by segregating the unvaccinated from out of their environment. Okay, but that's this is unbelievably a bridge too far, and I'm disturbed by the poll results. But then again, I'm I'm disturbed by the go along, get along. Oh, well, you know, it's another lockdown. What can you do? I guess they have our, we got to listen to the experts and we got to follow the science. And he's the top doctor for a reason. He told us that kids should just whisper trick or treating outdoors on people's doorsteps. He must know. Christine Elliott's the health minister. She said she closed down playgrounds for a day in April and then reversed that decision. They must know what they're doing. Oy vey. And then some. That should be the name of the of the first hour of the show. Oy vey. I, I cannot believe this is the mother load of uh, of, of bad ideas uh, and bad policies. And uh, thank God it's in Quebec, not here. I'll say that at, at the minimum. Let me go here. Uh, teachers are uh, expressing some safety concerns. I get it. I get it 100% on Monday. And uh, I do think a lot of bad faith and rancor and uh, intentions been developed between the two sides. That's putting it mildly. But I, I want to parse this out. Karen Littlewood's, by the way, going to join me around 720 this morning. She's the president of the OSSTF. Two things I saw yesterday that I didn't quite get. 
And so let me lay those out for you, if I can. By the way, you can text the show 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640, anytime, and we'll get to your texts. I think I've turned the alert off. The alert was banging on the air um, because we get so many texts. Um, but uh, it was on the air, and I think I've uh, I found a way to, to stop it from going over the air. Let's see if that's true. Because uh, you'll text me right now, and then we'll, we'll know. Well, trial by fire. But uh, what I didn't understand yesterday was there. Were, um, I heard a couple uh, union reps upset that the province uh, didn't tell them on Monday night that Robert Benzie from the Toronto Star got the news that um, teachers and students were all going to go back to public schools in Ontario on January 17th. And it felt like there's a lot of bullets you could utilize to uh, fire a lot of salvos to be fired at the province for what hasn't been provided for obfuscating for uh, you know turning the other uh, way around and not providing allowing teachers to choose that was the biggest one for me let them choose their PPE right from the beginning there were teachers that wanted to wear more stringent masks that wanted to go full N95 ages ago and they weren't allowed to. You got to wear a blue surgical mask. So many places are like this. Um, I had to ditch my, when I go visit my father-in-law in long-term care, even if I wanted to wear an N95, I can't. I've got to wear a blue surgical mask. Well, I don't feel as comfortable doing that. So I understood teachers wanted certain things that they didn't get from the province. And this has to be a, a micro-macro battle right now. The micro is getting getting things rolling next week. It will be chaotic. There will be disorder. There's going to be uh, you know shortages and problems and and parents keeping their kids home for a week. They did that, by the way. It's important to remember, and I didn't hear anybody talk about this yesterday, and I neglected to talk about it, so that's on me too, is nobody mentioned the fact that this happened in the fall also, is that in the wake of the Delta variant, that there were people saying, uh, I'm going to leave my kid out for a week, a week and a half, see how it goes in September. There were parents doing that. And again, I'd never, this is what we got to get back to. This is why the boat is going in the other direction away from all these doomsday doctors, all these, you know, merchants of chaos and fear, the pandemic peats, the science fiction table. We're moving away from all, all of this. You know we are. Like, you don't have to agree with it, but you know the vast majority of people are. Like, we we get that. I think we do. But well, that was happening in the fall anyway. So when I saw teacher union reps, were they were mad, and they, and they were verbalizing it, that the province was doing what they said they would do and open the schools January 17th. They're like, nobody told us. Well, they're telling you today. And that was a leak. Now, I always ask this, and I think these are really obviously fair questions, but everybody should ask it. People that do what I do should always ask it. Okay. Who benefits from the leak? Is this a trial balloon going up? We talked about this, and, and we re-rolled some of Caroline Alfonso in the in the five thirty to six segment, um, asking whether or not this was a trial balloon that was set up to see what the public would think of it. Yes, the province does this sometimes. Yes, they govern seemingly by polling. Yes, they determine. Uh, what the electorate feels because their goal is to get elected, plain and simple. Their goal isn't to take care of your kid. Their goal isn't to make sure uh, Johnny and Jennifer are safe when they go to school on Monday. It's not. If that happens, I think they're happy because then there's more support for them. You get what I'm saying here. Similarly, let's not let's call politics what it is. It's a dirty dirty mud wrestling battle sometimes and 85% of that mud wrestling is done behind the scenes 
Do you think there's any benefit towards chaos in the schools for the NDP or the liberals? Yes or no? Let's let's not let's not sugarcoat this. Let's not gray area this. Is there benefit political? Is there political capital to be gained by schools being a crap show in the next six weeks? You know the answer, and I know the answer. That doesn't make people bad people. That doesn't make people um, malfeasant or devious. But it's politics. Okay, so I'm a little surprised for all the things that the teachers' unions could throw at the provincial government. Who cares when a story leaks? Who ca- They're supposed to call you on Monday night and say, hey, there might be a story leak. We don't know how it got out there, but we're letting the ETFO know and the OSSTF and the Catholic board. And we're let- that's not going to happen. And that doesn't need to happen, first of all. So we'll talk a lot about schools with uh, um, with Karen Littlewood around 7.15. I wanted to play this clip for you. Um, a couple people did note. Uh, I, I saw a doctor tweet this yesterday. Now, re- there's many doctors, right? But Shira Doron is a doctor in the United States, raises some good points here. Here's what she writes. She wrote this uh, Monday night, but people picked it up on yesterday. If you wear an N95, KN95, KF94, or P100 snorkel mask, I don't, I don't, not familiar with the latter, you do not need to worry about what anyone else is wearing. Mask mandates can be dropped in towns and in schools, and you should not care. In fact, the phrase N95 mandate is like an oxymoron. We don't need to insist that kids in school wear higher quality masks. They can if they want to, or if their parents want them to, but it does not need to matter to anyone else. Hallelujah. Doubling down on that, and I, don't, I think it's irrespective of, uh, of that particular concept, Joseph Allen has been a brilliant, brilliant um, he's now you know, running the show at, at Harvard, but he's written books. He, if you write a book called Healthy Buildings, that means you care about ventilation and air quality. And you're obviously aware of the airborne nature of the virus. I keep seeing all these people going, will you people acknowledge that it's airborne? Who doesn't know this right now? Do you have to say it every single time? I mean, do you have to do that? Uh, Joseph Allen is is GD brilliant at this stuff, okay? Uh, he's uh, running the show at Harvard, and he's been on the chair task force of safe work and school and travel. So he isn't just a hysterical parent. He isn't a teacher. There's so many good teachers. He isn't a teacher looking to cause chaos in the school system by suggesting somehow that they're 38 years old, triple vaccinated with an N95, and they're fearing for their life next Monday. No, you aren't. And if you are, we will get you help. We need to understand that you're suffering a phobia right now, and we should get you counseling. But that's not the majority of teachers. Joseph Allen said this on CNN last night. Hallelujah. It's about time. Here we go. There's no turning back when Joseph Allen says this. Writing about this through the fall and backing it up by hard data. And the hard data I'm referring to here is on the risk to kids that has been consistent since day one. Their risk is low. New data out of New York State during the peak of the Omicron surge shows that child hospitalization rates are on the order of one in 100,000 if you're unvaccinated. If you're vaccinated, a child's risk is on the order of two to three per million. These are low rates. On top of that, adults, all teachers and staff had had 10 months or more to get vaccinated and take the precaution they need to. We're coming up on two years of disrupted school, kids in masks, to think there's no harm there or no loss in socialization, no impact, I think is incorrect. We've been prioritizing adults at the expense of kids, and it's time to start having these serious conversations. When is enough? And I think it's right now. We The, ki- the risk to kids 
is low and adults have had time to protect themselves with the vaccine. Oh, my God. What possible, possible argument would you have to counteract that? You know how you used to go to a concert and, and you did this in high school or whatever and you'd buy the shirt, right? You'd go buy merchandise at the concert and you'd wear the shirt to school the next day. Can I wear a Joseph Allen healthy building shirt around the office? I don't know who would see it. But, like, let me pray at the altar of this guy. Similarly... On CNN, a lot of people don't like CNN. They're like, oh, no, CNN. They, so COVID porn and fear and everything. Here's a conversation Jake Tapper had, okay? Jake Tapper uh, with Sanjay Gupta, their resident doctor, about with COVID because of COVID. They're asking questions now that many of us have been asking for well over 8 to 10 months. Some people have been asking them for 20. The dam's breaking, people. Here it is. But if 40% in some hospitals, 40% of the people who have COVID don't necessarily have problematic COVID. They're there because they got in a car accident. They get, they're there because, right. um, you know, they, they bump their head. And they're being included as in the hospital with COVID. That number seems kind of misleading. Yeah, I agree, Jake. It surprises me that they have not been able to parse out that data more carefully. I think the data that uh, uh, Dr. Olensky is quoting is from New York State, and we've been following that data as well. And I can show you what we've seen, uh, sort of sort of tracks with what she said. But out of all the patients that are in the hospital, about 57%, these are COVID patients, admitted because of or complications from COVID, 43% admitted for other reasons and then diagnosed with COVID. Uh, I think, you know, there needs to be transparency about that uh, in terms of for or with COVID. Yeah. I mean, just tell us, tell us some numbers. Give us more data as opposed to less data. And let me say this. They were, there's, there's Jake Tapper and Sanjay Gupta. They were, you know, burning people at the stake until like about November for saying this kind of stuff. How can you be so insensitive? COVID is the nightmare of our lifetime medically. Yeah, I agree it is. But we want more information. And listen, I'm not of the mind that you can't get COVID, have it go worse for you in the hospital. Of course, that's also true. Okay, so those numbers need to be, uh, you know, we need to counterbalance it with that. But that stuff, you'd cancel somebody. You'd be like, who's who is that? Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson. You you literally would have said that with someone saying that seven, eight months ago. Well, now it's Sanjay Gupta and Jake Tapper saying it. The tides turn. I don't know what to tell you. Pleased to welcome on the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. She is Karen Littlewood. It's great to have you on. We talked to right before the fall uh, as you were just beginning uh, your role as president. Uh, and uh, wow, what a four months. Uh, I thank you for coming back today and Happy New Year. Thanks, Greg. Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster. It sure has, yeah. Um, and I, uh, it's a weird one, too, because I'm glad we can kind of drill down for high school parents. I, I have a, a grade 10, and I look and I think... It's we put kids in this giant box and we've said this is good for kids. This is bad for kids. But, you know, and I know and anybody who's ever parented knows we can remember from our own existence what the difference is between a five year old and a, and a 17 year old. I, I get that online learning uh, is really, really difficult for these elementary school teachers at the lower grades. I think there's considerable benefit. I'm seeing my kid not struggle with it. But the goal clearly is to get back into the classroom. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Face-to-face is the best way to learn. We've heard uh, 
Ford, the Premier, say that, you know, online learning is not what we want. So we would agree with the Premier on that. Not a problem. I want to clarify, though, that we represent workers all the way from early childhood education Mm -hmm. into university. But about two thirds of our members are in the public high schools in Ontario. And, you know, they're they're as confused as I am right now to hear something on social media on Monday night. And now we know today that the Minister of Education will be making an official announcement. But there hasn't been anything yet. And school boards still have not received any direction either. So parents are right if they're confused. Uh, This is a really um, unusual situation, I'd say. It is. No question about it. I I look at Monday night and I think, well, I think most teachers had some sense or anticipation. The 17th was deemed the date that um, teachers could potentially return. So I I didn't think much of that. And I worried that there was immediate judgment. And you you document problems with social media. I don't think we have a half hour to go through it. But nonetheless, I thought I saw a lot of visceral reaction and I'm like, you don't know the plan yet. I think we should absolutely turn our, our cannons on the province if they don't have schools set up properly Monday and the proper safeguards in place. But I saw a lot of immediate reaction from teachers that were really skeptical. There's a lot of bad faith out there, and I'm not saying it, it it's not valid, and I'm not saying it wasn't in part created by the province, but we owe our kids good faith instead of bad faith going into Monday, don't we? Well, of course we do. And what the Premier said uh, a week or so ago was that they would reevaluate after the two weeks. Um, so Monday night, I guess the reevaluation had been done, and we were sitting thinking, okay, but what, what is the difference? The ICU numbers were up instead of down. Saturday night in Toronto, mm-hmm. you couldn't get an ambulance. There were, there were things that had changed, but I wouldn't say that they had necessarily changed for the better. Yes, the N95 masks, I believe, have arrived at the school boards and are being distributed to work sites throughout the province. That's great. But there's no testing or tracing that's going to be happening. Um, how will you know what, what state your school is in? Parents will be deciding, yes, I want to send my child back or not. Every kid is very different in what they can thrive on in education. So some kids are doing very well. Some kids are really struggling and need to be face-to-face. But, you know, you mentioned the visceral reaction. It wasn't just visceral reaction. It was, there was a lot of fear. And, and I've asked people on social media on my account, my Karen OSSTF account, how are you feeling? And I thought I would get a lot more anger and people saying, you know, you just want to close the schools as a union. That's not what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is a lot of fear from people. Isn't social media an, uh, a method uh, and, a, and a platform where people will express more visceral emotion than calm? I, I, I don't think people would go just they don't want to type out I'm OK with this. They want a, a, a reaction swing to one extreme or the other. Well, whether it's extreme confidence or extreme fear, I, I just never find it's a, I, it's me. It's I never find it's a great guideline to tell us 74 percent of adults aren't even bothering with it. And they're probably yeah. smart not to bother with it. Yeah, no, it's certainly not a scientific measure of anything. I'm hearing from people on social media, but also by email. People mm-hmm. are contacting me saying, I'm fine with this. This is great. And, you know, that's that's our job as a union is to support the workers. And where people don't feel safe, we try and help them through the process. That's what we do. It's just right now people have more questions than anything. And I look forward to today when the Minister of Education will be answering questions from the media. Will people will hear how the decision was made? Will hear the metrics that the decision was based on? That's what people want right now. They want to hear some answers. Mm-hmm. question that I have is, 
will students be protected against Omicron? Um, the, the, the booster is what is protecting people against getting it, or when they get it, getting what people are reporting to be a mild to moderate type cold symptoms. Without that booster, people are becoming very ill, and there are no students in Ontario who are eligible for the booster right now. So will they be safe when they're in close contact, masks off, eating in the halls, which many kids do in high school, Hmm. uh, eating in a cafeteria, eating in their classroom, will they be safe? We can't eat in a restaurant right now because it's not safe, but we're safe with 35 or or 200 kids in a cafeteria with a mask off. Karen Littlewood's our guest president of the OSSTF. I agree with a lot of those points. I want to come back to to testing and tracing. I think testing is vital. I agree with you there, and I think every teacher, uh, you know, should demand, and I'll demand it for them on Monday if it's not there. PCR tests should be uh, required for return to school for either students or teachers that have become uh, either symptomatic or or, or have tested positive. Absolutely, that's true. The tracing is yeah. going to be, I think the tracing right now is is a lost leader and I think it. I think there could be valuable resources going to more masks, more filters, ventilation here and there. I, I, I don't think we can t- trace a virus that is so spiraling out of control. What's your thought right. on that? Well, okay, the masks, um, I think the question that needs to be asked right now is do the school boards have enough to last more than a week and a half? Because what I'm hearing is they don't. There will need to be more masks delivered and distributed as well. Mm-hmm. As far as the, the testing and tracing, people went on trips over the holiday. They had to have a negative PCR test to get on the plane. You don't have to pass any sort of test in order to get into the school. Even the rapid test, you know, there's complaints about it saying, oh, well, you might get you might get a false negative. Well, at least you're using something. Kids were given those rapid tests, but I'm, I'm betting that, that they've all been used by now because people are quite nervous. And, and, and rightfully so, they should have the tools at their disposal to know that they're safe. So I agree. I'd like to see uh, a rapid test or at least uh, you know something done before the first day, before people enter the building, so you know what you're stepping into. To say, well, you only will have access to a PCR test if you develop symptoms while at school. Well, does the bus count if I get a sneezy, start sneezing and have a sore throat on the bus? Now do I get a, a, a PCR or, or no, I, I don't. That's right. I agree with that. So I, I, I 100% agree with that. I don't care where somebody gets it. If they get it, they get it. And yeah. uh, and that test should be provided because there's been, you've seen the studies, I've seen the studies for every study that says, well, you know, th- there's more transmission in schools. I can find a study backed by valid people that say it happens more in the community. You know, and I know that schools were out for, well, now they've been out close to, to 21, 22 days and the numbers have gone up exponentially. Where were kids on Friday? At the mall. Uh, over yep. at each other's houses. Of course they were, and they're not testing when they do those things either. So there's there's arguments to be made for all of it on, on either side. We've just got to find a way to put some of those disputes as to where it comes from aside and say, if you get it, you've got you've to isolate, and you come back when you don't have it, plain and simple. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and Greg, I, I know I've heard you comment on this before, though. When we're talking about community restrictions, um, we probably need to be keeping those in place if we're going to be opening mm-hmm. schools. We've heard it over and over again. Schools should be the last to close and the first to open. Restaurants are closed right now. Please, please, please don't open the restaurants. Yeah, I agree with that. When we're going back into the schools. Keep the capacity limits low in the malls, in in Costco, in in a Walmart, all of those places. People will be out and about. You've got COVID fatigue. People are saying, I've had enough of this. I'm done with it. That's when people get Omicron. That's when people get really sick. And nobody knows 
who it is who it's going to affect in such a serious way that they end up in the hospital and the ICU beds are filling up. I think we need at least two weeks. I think we need at least two weeks from yeah. next Monday on the 17th. So that'd be the Please. 31st before we talk about, listen, I, I'd love to see uh, the old the old dudes I see in the locker room at, at the gym. I'd like them to be able to go back because that's you, you've seen it outside. That's their only form of safe exercise right now. Yep. It's not walking down an icy path for, for two and a half hours a day. That's where they want to be. <laughs> They're boosted. Now, here's what I'd say too. I think a boosted teacher, the vast majority of teachers tell me, I'm boosted. I appreciated the extra time to get the booster. I've got N95 masks. I can't imagine why any other teacher, and this is teachers telling me this, would feel, say, less safe than they would have walking into a classroom, bravely, I would say, in September of 2020 before any of us were vaccinated. Is that a fair statement? Well, I felt safe when I got my second shot. I know I, I had tears in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, my booster, I thought, okay, I feel so much better now. But people are still getting Omicron. And yes, you're talking to teachers, but are you talking to teachers in New Lisford, in Sioux Lookout, in Kenora? Because the vaccination clinics that were announced last week were only in the GTA. It was up to individuals. There's a doctor in Ottawa who provided a, a Jabapalooza and vaccinated a 1,000 people on Sunday night. The, those individuals... Allowing access have created the ability for educators to have their third dose. That is not the case across the province. That is up to individuals. So it really should have been a province-wide rollout as well. There's, you know, actions that are happening in certain areas and not in others. The system is inequitable right now. You're right. You you probably, we had him on our show last week, but you've probably heard of this this, uh, pharmacist, Kiro Massey, who opened up his clinics. Guy's a hero. Guy got hundreds, hundreds. He did it on the Monday stat holiday. Hundreds of of teachers there, their second or third shots done. And again, I think we got to get to a judgment-free zone now. If you've waited... There's nothing we can do about that, but we need you yep. to move from two to three or one to two right now. We need you to do that so you feel more confident uh, in your particular building. But So you're telling me that access to the booster is still a problem in some remote areas of the province? It certainly is, okay. and, and even some, some urban areas in southern Ontario outside of the GTA. It, it is a problem, and I also want to, to mention, too, that we have people who are working in the schools right now. Schools closed is, is really not 100% accurate. We have students with significant yes. needs and we have staff working with them. And, you know, they should have been allowed to have priority access as, as well. Some of them don't have appointments until February. You just said January is a long month. It is a long <laughs> month. And they need to have those third boosters as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. And I mentioned this before. Look, I saw a lot of doctors, a lot of the people you see on TV and radio, and they were screaming for 18 plus boosters. And I said, no, 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 we got to limit this to 35 we're going to run out i've seen the province do this before i've seen this movie before we got to put educators to the front of the line healthcare workers went to the front of the line in the fall for the booster 18 plus i don't think a 20 year old college student needs a third shot more than an educator does right now and this has to be we have to have some some cost benefit analysis of who should go before who we do yeah yeah, no, we have a lot of people in the province with privilege who can stay home, who can say, I'm going to avoid all access, I'm going to have Instacart deliver my groceries, and that's great. But there's way more people who are not in that situation, and there's a lot of people who don't have access to paid sick leave, and so they do need to go to work, and they do need to be exposed to others. And yes, they should have priority access. Those who can avoid others, 
that's great. Maybe that's what we need to do for the rest of January, stay home. But that's not the case for so many people. And, you know, yes, schools, it looks like they're going to open up on Monday. Uh, There was some speculation that perhaps the the Monday night tweets were a trial balloon to see what the reaction was. And I don't think I've ever seen such a a (laughs) one-sided reaction of, wow, like it was was a, a flood. But, you know, we have to go back to say a lot of this has to do with poor planning. So the decision to keep the school closed was regrettable however it was the right thing to do and that's also due to yeah. failed action before teachers and education workers should have been help, sent home with those rapid tests on the 17th of december they uh, shouldn't be waiting now to fight for those tests and to have access there are still tests I, locked up in closets in schools greg i know that parents that parents didn't pick up i'm very aware i hear from yeah. teachers and principals and 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 th- that's the last place they should be right now i'm making this late for news but i have to ask this do we still have um what What's our percentage? What's our number of unvaccinated teachers in the classroom? There are still, obviously, without a mandate, there are unvaccinated teachers going into our classrooms on Monday. How many? That's right. I have no idea. Nobody asked me what where I worked when I got my booster. So there, there is no data on that. It's all anecdotal. We need a better plan than this in order to know that we're going to be safe. So, so I got to ask, why didn't the union push harder to find out, uh, not necessarily names and locations, but percentages of who's not vaccinated? I think parents well, should know that. Right now, fully vaccinated is two shots. The definition hasn't changed. We need people to have their third shot. There is no data on that. School boards don't have it. We can ask our members, but we're not going to get 100% of that information either. So, hello, the government perhaps maybe needs to be asking for that information so Mm. parents will have access to information. They do have a right to know. You're right. I got you. Thanks for an honest chat, and uh, and I appreciate what you're doing for your teachers. You know the blood runs in my family, and I appreciate you coming on today. Let's chat uh, in the next couple weeks and see how things are going and have another conversation. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk to you soon, Okay, Karen Littlewood uh, joining us. Um, I'm so excited to have our next guest on. I always am. Dr. Isaac Bogush uh, joins me now. I like starting with good news. You're an uplifting guy sometimes. I mean, when you got to deliver bad news, it's not uplifting. But let's take this story yesterday, right? On, I'll read the headline to our listeners. Ontario to receive international nurses to assist with staffing shortages. Yes, people might say, well, that's long overdue, but it's happening now. 1,200 applicants want to do this, and they'll match um, potential nurses up, internationally educated nurses, nurses with hospitals. We need bodies right now, Dr. Bogosh. Oh, this is a great, great move. Yeah. I mean, this just to call it how it is, internationally trained healthcare providers, not just nurses, but also doctors, really get the short end of the stick when they come to Canada. There are so many barriers to integrate into the workforce. And of course, you have to meet Canadian standards. And, and that makes sense wherever you travel and wherever you want to work. But the the bottlenecks and the hurdles are massive in Canada, and most don't end up practicing. This is a wonderful opportunity to have trained people who are excellent at what they do get to work in a field that they can obviously meaningful, meaningfully contri- contribute to, but also at a time of tremendous need, terrific move. It checks every box. Equity, getting people into the workforce, getting people doing what they're good at, and also significantly helping a healthcare system that is stretched by <laughs> to, to oh, no end. So right. I, and I think we forget. And you got to breathe it out sometimes and, and count not just to 10, but to 20 and say, we live in a great country. We are well taken care of. There's a lot that we can brag about with our healthcare system oh, yeah. that to other countries around the world. My goodness. But this is some, you know, as you know, better than anybody. One thing we don't do great, eliminate red tape and eliminate red tape quickly. Oh, there yeah. shouldn't be these barriers here. 
I'm with you all the way. And, you know, I, I integrated and in, on this front as well at, at, through various parts of my role at the hospital and, and at the university and mostly not, not with the nursing front, but with international uh, medical uh, graduates as well. And, and they just have a real, real tough time getting integrated into the Canadian medical system. There's a ton of red tape. Some of it is very reasonable. Some of it is completely unreasonable and unfair. Yes, you have to have standards, of course. But on the other hand, I think we could streamline this process and make it a lot easier. We need docs. There's some excellent docs out there that just can't practice. We need nurses. There's some excellent nurses out there that just can't practice. And it's it's largely related to these hurdles that they have to overcome. This is a great move because we'll get people to work in an area that desperately needs them to be working in. Dr. Isaac Bowers, kind enough to join us on Toronto Today, Global News Radio 640 Toronto on this Wednesday morning. Uh, I want to get to schools in a sec. Tell me about worldwide data you're seeing. We're seeing cases uh, drop in the UK. We sort of have gone from South Africa to Denmark to the United Kingdom. We're seeing cases drop, hospitalizations stabilize. I mean, that's only encouraging. I know we're not there yet. I know we're not, but I'm hearing people say we will be. We will be in maybe a week, week and a half. Hope so, fingers tightly crossed. I mean, yeah, of course, this is like the Newtonian laws of pandemic waves. What goes up must come down, and and this will come down. And the question is when. Um, it's hard to know because it's hard to, to, to model this because we don't really have a good depiction of what the daily or case count is and the seven-day average. I know everyone argued, oh, don't report it. I, I was a fan of more data, not less data, yeah. but contextualizing the data. Like, of course, you shouldn't have that daily case count guide your mood throughout the day, but you can't ignore it. It's just helpful information to have. If we put it in the appropriate context, if we communicate it effectively, I think it could be very helpful. And certainly figuring out where we are in the trajectory of our pandemic, this, this does make a lot of sense to know. We don't know it. Okay, fine. We'll probably start to peak, hopefully sometime soon. Maybe it's in the middle of the month. We won't know it until we start to see our hospitalizations start to uh, plateau. And when our hospitalizations plateau, it's it's, it's a good sign that our cases have started to come down about a week before that. We had Dr. Zane Chaglin on Monday, and he talked. he's talked a lot about the antivirals, and he's talked a lot about the Pfizer drug, which seems more effective than the Merck pill. Um, and yeah. it's already getting used in the United Kingdom. It's, uh, it's more readily available in the United States. And uh, I get it. You know, we, we want the right things out there, and timing is of the essence. But uh, I, think, I think there needs to be a little bit of a, a nudge for Health Canada because that's e- – even if this wave subsides and we get another one, then people have something on the shelf that can help mitigate severe illness. And that's what this is all about right now. Greg, a little bit of a nudge? How about a massive <laughs> push? Like, what are you doing? We need these pills. Like, like, what's going on? This is, obviously, they have a job to do. Obviously, it's a tricky job. Obviously, you've got to make sure you've got the right product in the right country. But 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 like of course this is this is an emergency and and we need these pills. Yesterday we're already in the you know somewhere near the peak of this wave. We're already seeing you know record hospitalizations with with COVID. We're looking at our ICU numbers creep up, not creep up. Let's just call it how it is. Our ICU numbers are shooting straight up. Like we need these medications. They do help. Um, the I agree. The Pfizer one looks far more promising than the Merck yeah. one. And if you start these pills early enough. They really can do a lot of good preventing people who are at risk of landing themselves in hospital or at risk of landing themselves in the ICU and, and preventing people from dying. Like it really, all the data points in that direction. 
we should be rolling these out. The other important point, too, is how you roll them out. And again, if you talk to 100 doctors, you're going to get 100 different answers, but you're talking to me, so this is the one you're going to That's right. Get. That's what I want. I would, <laughs> I'd stick them in pharmacies. I would take the medical profession out of this equation. Or not completely out of the equation, but we don't want barriers, right? You've got to start these fast. Pharmacies are all over the province. You've got them on every block. Okay, pharmacists are smart, well-trained medical professionals. You can do a rapid test in the pharmacy and and in no time determine if you're positive or negative, and you can start these medications right away. And, and, And the right way to roll them out is to get them into the right hands as quickly as possible. If you've got to go to a doctor's office, yeah, you might, they might, be a little slow on the rapid test. You might have to wait to see a doctor. You might have to get a prescription and get it filled. Like the key thing here is speed, efficiency, and lower barriers. And I think, yeah, of course, doctors can be involved with this, but I would really get the pharmacies and pharmacists mm. on board with this. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, our guest. Last thing for you. Um, schools, as we move forward, I just chatted with Karen Littlewood from the OSSTF, and, and she made, in, in essence, a plea saying, if we're rolling with schools, if we're going to do this, and it looks like we are on Monday morning, let's not even touch anything else. And I said, you're right, for a couple weeks. Like, I, I'd love for gyms to be open for older people who want to exercise. I'd love for people to be able to socialize and have a coffee indoors because it's minus freaking 15 out every day. But, but... That way, the data is not compromised. We've seen tremendous, tremendous growth with schools closed for 20 days. But as we ride this wave and ride this roller coaster, I, I think if, if we're saying schools are the are the last to close and they weren't, then let's keep our eyes laser focused on what happens in the schools themselves for two weeks. Do I have that right? I like that argument. and I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do. I do. I also, in the exact same breath, would appreciate how devastating these policies are to small businesses, as you very well know, and as you've chatted about a lot. And like anything else, you're never going to appease everybody. You're never going to make everyone happy. But what you say makes total sense. It doesn't rock the boat. It doesn't compromise the data. It doesn't give more opportunities for the virus to transmit with the full acknowledgement that if we are going to really cut some small businesses off at the knee, we have to be providing them with meaningful support, like really meaningful support throughout this time. It's not ideal by any circumstances. However, it's, it is a crisis. And, uh, and this is, you know, you've got to provide people with support if you're not allowing them to make a living. The other data I've shared or, or just anecdotal stuff, Dr. Ja in the States, uh, other brilliant people like him, is when he says and when he retweets people that say, I'm seeing no one boosted. No one who's boosted is coming into my emergency room. Yeah. Now, of course, there's never a guarantee. There are 0.0 guarantees with this. But I think teachers feel a lot more emboldened about going back. If they're boosted yeah. and they've got an N95 mask, it's, oh it's unbelievable how much more safe they are than on oh, December yeah. 10th of last year. It's unbelievable. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, this is night and day. This is night and day. And like, like, let's also remember the, what is it now, 73,000 HEPA filters that have put into, been placed into schools as well. Like, again, maybe it's not up to everybody's standards, but you can't say it. nothing has been done. HEPA filters, uh, mm. N95 masks, priority vaccination. Like, this really really helps is it perfect of course not is there room for improvement yes there is but it's still so much better than it was in the past that not not to say that you can't improve it further for many people this is going to be enough to go back for some it might not be i really hope there's remote learning opportunities for people that you know because there's going to be some kids or some teachers with an underlying medical condition that says you know what i just can't get COVID. i'm going to get so sick fine or maybe they're going home to someone who just can't get COVID. 
fine. But for a lot of people, probably most of, most people, going back is, is going to be the right thing to do, and that's what they want to do. And great, we should have that option. But I'm with you all the way. If you've had three doses of a vaccine and you're wearing an N95 and you're in a classroom that's got, you know, a HEPA filter, like, that's about as, like, you're in a lower risk scenario. That remarkably reduces the risk. Of course your risk isn't zero. You can still get COVID. But even in the worst case scenario, pound for pound, you're just not going to do poorly. Most people will do just fine. You might have a cough and a cold, but like these vaccines are so good at yeah. reducing the risk of severe outcomes. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it as always, Dr. Bogosh. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. The data for hospitals, a lot of people asking questions about it, fair questions, uh, I think even keel questions, and Rupa Subramania was one such person earlier this week. Uh, the deep dive into Ontario's hospitalization data makes the case against lockdowns, she says, but that's in the now, did it previous. Rupa joins me now. It's great to have you on. You kind of drove, you know, drilled deep into some of the numbers, and especially recently because this pandemic has changed and flipped when Delta shifted to Omicron as the primary variant. Um, absolutely, Greg, uh, and thanks for having me here. Uh, so, you know, speaking to the data, so today actually uh, on, uh, Ontario uh, has COVID admission. So, summer where we'd have conversations on the show and we'd be like, I don't know that that cases are a lead story anymore to the point where I'm not sure post Omicron cases are, are, are any kind of story anymore. And, um, and so their, their impact on us to me anyway, um, mentally and logically kind of, mm-hmm. kind of diminished a little bit in, in a post-vaccination universe. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good point about cases. I, I, you know, I really, again, um, Omicron is, uh, um, you know, teaching us some very important lessons here. Um, you know, one of them being cases, you know, our testing capacity in the province is essentially broke is broken down. You can't get a test or if you get a test, uh, you're going to have to wait for several days to find out if you're positive or negative. Um, And uh, so I think um, case counts are not going to be a good indication indicator of where we're going, but they've been telling us our experts, doctors, um, public policy officials have been telling us for a very long time now that, um, you know, what matters are hospital admissions and ICU admissions. And if you start to see a decoupling of hospital admissions and ICU admissions from cases, that's what matters because that, 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 that essentially tells you that uh, the vaccines are working. Um, but for some reason, we've now gone back to case counts. And it's because of case counts that I feel that we're under this current lockdown. Uh, uh, everybody's, again, begun talking about cases. So a record number of cases that are being registered in the province are once again um, headline grabbing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, grab the headlines. So, uh, but we we need to continue to look at hospital admissions. And again, this a breakdown that I that I that I that I spoke to earlier uh, that breaks it down uh, by uh, for COVID and with COVID. So, you know. That's that's a very important uh, data. That's very important data that needs to be uh, more widely available, and hopefully, we'll start getting that now. 
Um, and, uh, and, and it also turns out, and I'm now, you know, I'm, I haven't fully looked at it, but just a quick glance at what, what I've just seen so far, that we may even be having some incidental um, ICU uh, admissions so which is which is which, which is really strange because you know i thought the province i'm pretty sure the province was breaking down uh covid admissions uh, uh, uh icu admissions but as as you know covid related and not yeah. non covid related but if this actually turns out to be true uh then we're actually uh misclassifying uh some covid related uh critical illness admissions we're actually misclassifying them and uh and and you know we're, we're gonna have to um it, it, it's 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 a bad situation uh because it it, it distorts uh, the 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 picture that you're that the public is actually seeing yeah it's about one in seven potentially in the icu if it, if it is indeed that 13 percent. i want to reset uh rupa subramania is our guest from the national post on toronto today on global news radio 640 toronto you wrote about the the lockdowns, um, and I think especially school closures for people. But this is this is hammered businesses, obviously. Um, I, I bristle a little bit, Rupa, on a on a macro scale of our society when people say, "Well, you can't choose between health and the economy." The economy isn't some like the economy are our people and they're our neighbors and they're our friends and they're our relatives and it's not just um yeah it's not a bunch of sit a bunch of men and women sitting in a in an executive corner office um deciding well uh, my profits are down a little bit it's lives on the line and then there's mental health so it's all it all circles back to mm -hmm. to people and um and i struggle with it because i understood the concept of mm -hmm. in a pre-vaccination universe again not letting um understanding what the the virus was and where it could spread and how we could risk mitigate against it then right. i think we understood it even more as time went on um to understand how to avoid it um i don't i don't understand this one i've, I've heard too many people say um we're all going to get this anyway and then i'm thinking okay we should probably make sure that we get it maybe at a time when the hospital capacity can help more people the counter to that is are our hospitals going to be fixed in four or five months or eight months or nine months and how long how long do we wait on that I, it's a really now of course it's a massive problem and a massive conundrum we're all morally challenged by this yeah um yeah uh greg on school closures i just uh so the latest news is that uh the province has decided that kids can be back in school uh on the 17th so i think that's uh that's a piece of good news um, I uh, was, uh, I don't have children, but, um, but, you know, uh, but, you know, I'm really concerned about our young people uh, that, you know, Canada, uh, there's this amazing world and data chart that I, uh, that I shared on Twitter about a week ago that shows that we're the only major Western country um, uh, with, uh, you know, with, with schools that are closed. Uh, we're in some not so, not, not very good company with Kyrgyzstan and Ukraine uh, and India, uh, you know, where, you know, that's been very controversial. Schools have essentially been closed for two years now. Um, and so, you know, what exactly are we doing here? You know, where where's the science here that suggests that somehow um, school, uh, closing schools is going to, uh, you know, help us deal with Omicron? Uh, I haven't seen anything out there that uh, that even supports uh, uh, supports this decision. So I'm glad that schools are 
reopening mm-hmm. next week. Um, and uh, you're right, uh, lives and, you know, it's not, it's lives and livelihoods, and they both matter. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's, it's just, I, you know, and I, as I point to the Netherlands data, now Netherlands went into a hard lockdown on December 19th. Interestingly, they went into a lockdown uh, when their cases were actually going down, when their hospital admissions and ICU admissions were actually trending down. But they went into a lockdown anyway because they were really concerned about Omicron and what it would do to hospital capacity and ICU capacity. But what's ended up happening is that cases, while they were declining before the lockdown, have actually shot up now. Um, and uh, ICU admissions and hospital admissions have actually continued to decline. Uh, that's a good thing, but that doesn't, that's not because of the lockdown. That's because of vaccine uh, effectiveness. Vaccines are working to protect uh, people from, um, from, from severe disease. Uh, and that's what's going on. So, uh, so you know, we, we, have, we have a real world example out there of, and, and very, very few countries, very few Western countries. I think Netherlands and Norway really um, are unique in, 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 the, you know, in the West in having lockdown, but most places like the UK have, uh, have minimal restrictions in place. They've uh, cut down, and these are all sensible, sensible things, uh, yeah. you know, you know uh, mask use, in public spaces, uh, um, capacity restrictions, um, you know, maybe nightclubs are closed in some places, uh, sports events are canceled or in-person sports events are canceled. These are, I would say, sensible uh, uh, precautions that you would take uh, given how uh, transmissible Omicron is and you, you know, you want to protect your hospitals. But but I, but you know, it it just doesn't just doesn't um, make sense to lock down as we did. Uh, given that, I mean, what is very striking is that if you look at the Oxford stringency index of lockdowns around the world, we uh, in in Canada we've never really fully. Um, uh, you know, we never really came to uh, opening up as much as other countries did, even when, uh, you know, we were at a very good place this past summer. Uh, we still had pretty, uh, we still had some restrictions in place, which, you know, most other countries had sort of, you know, they, they'd, uh, they, you know, they loosened up a little bit, but we more or less have maintained throughout the pandem- pandemic, a very high level of restrict, a very high level of restrictions. So, you know, it's frustrating, you know, there's been very high compliance uh, in Ontario, um, uh, uh, you know, with respect to vaccines and, uh, you know, complying with uh, restrictions. And here we are again, we're closing down schools, we're closing down businesses, we're, uh, uh, you know, and none of that is guided by science, unfortunately. That's uh, Rupa Subramania from the National Post. Deanne says, uh, Wordle, day two, perfect score. Thank you, Shiba Siddiqui. I didn't understand the game until I heard you say it was like mastermind. That's all it takes. Um, by the way, Wheel of Fortune has people who watch Wheel of Fortune think that that's helped them. So if you've spent a lot of time with your grandmother on either side, maternal or paternal, you should be better at Wordle than if you haven't. So spend again, spend time with grandma when it's safe again to do so. Um, but uh, there's a RSTLNE thing with uh, with Wheel of Fortune. I'm told that they give you those letters. Um, that represents 45% of all letters in a standard English text are one of those six letters. So right away, you want to be guessing R-S-T or L-N-E. By the way, the biggest Google question on uh, Wheel of Fortune, how does Vanna know which letters to turn? I agree. She's br- I, I, that, I'd break out in a cold, not just because of the gowns, 
I'd have to wear, but the sweat I'd feel turning over. She's only done it apparently once, and they had to throw out the puzzle and start over again. I find that very difficult to believe, as great as she is, that that's the case. Okay, could talk about this forever. Uh, let's get to our next guest, pharmacologist Sabina Vower Miller. Are you a Wordle person so far? <laughs> I've played one game so far. Well, well, that th- no, that sounds like it went really well, and you mastered it, or went really poorly. Which is it? Um, I think I got four on six, if I remember correctly, and then I was like, "Hmm, I should try this every morning." But it's just, I don't know. I think we all we all need uh we all need some brain we all need some brain teasers to keep fresh, given what we're uh, what we're all going through right now. I would say exactly when when schools begin and I have some more spare time. Yeah, then. Yeah, there is that. Um, so we had Karen Littlewood from the OSSTF on. We had a great conversation there about where it's going to go for teachers. Um, I think two things of this: the N95s for teachers. I'm hearing from some. Uh, saying they're getting them, they've got them, they've got 20. Uh, they'll, they're obviously, we got to keep the pressure on the province to give them what they need. And, and you were on the N95 kick very early on in December. I remember our conversations. This is a vital piece of, of their protection at the front of the classroom going forward. Absolutely is. I mean, I think we, we really understand how important masking is, and we've known that for a while now. So, Frankly, I'm just surprised it's taken us this long, uh, this long to actually up our masking, but it's going to be really, really important to make sure that everyone's upgrading their mask. So was this with you, where we're, where you were at, were you very pro the research on N95s early, or did that combine with skepticism that the cloth masks were doing what some said they would do? Is it a combination of both? Yeah, I think for me, predominantly, I did, I did not find cloth masks actually, you know, for me, it's not necessarily the filtration that I'm concerned about, because you can make a cloth mask better in terms of filtration. For me, it's always been the fit. Mm-hmm. I have literally not seen a single person wearing a cloth mask that is fitted well around their nose, their chin, their cheeks. I, I, I keep seeing people with cloth masks, like, you know, with their mask slipping down. And for me, that is the, that's the deal breaker. I mean, if there is even a slight gap in your fit, um, you're not having any protection there. And it's harder, right? Because we have, um, I'm sure you'd concur with this, you have younger children than I do. Our listeners probably, if they're parents at all, their ages vary all over the place. And we hear this, kids in masks, kids in masks. You know as well as I do that a 17-year-old, it, it, you know, maybe is more capable of handling a mask. And I worry less about the learning loss and the speech and all that development I do than a 5-year-old. But also a 17-year-old might be a little more, flippant about it and just think I'm 17 I'm vaccinated why do I why why do I need to wear it properly absolutely I mean I think we all understand that with uh, when we're younger our risk thresholds are completely different than when we're older um, and that definitely plays into it as well and I think with younger children masking is also hard because I mean very often they don't I mean we don't even have we have adults who don't know how to wear a mask properly so it you know it's 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 um, asking a, a young child to mask is, is is difficult, but they can be taught. Um, but there's definitely challenges there on 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 both the young end of the spectrum and the the older the older children as well. Sabina Vora Miller is kind enough to join us, Global News Radio six forty Toronto on Toronto today. Now I played a clip from Joseph Allen, who's been brilliant, innovative on uh, on clean air. He was in on the airborne nature of the virus, the fact we need you know better ventilation, HEPA filters, all that stuff. And he made the point that if you are wearing an N ninety five mask, and especially if you're boosted, and this is what teachers are telling me, anecdotally totally boosted teachers now that they have that access to to n95 and hopefully like i said it's a consistent supply they're a lot more confident than they would have been a month ago they feel safe i I think i want to reassure them that they are safe would you say they're safe if those two factors line up 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, I think with uh, with the COVID, it's always been a matter of having extra layers of protection and each layer of protection makes you more protected. So absolutely having your booster shot, having a proper mask, all of these things is increasing your layers. I mean, I think that one other area that I think schools are still working on is, is um, you know, uh, with ventilation. And I think that is something that needs to be improved across the board. I know I'm hearing about that happening now, but I'm not sure if that's sufficient or it's happening, you know, in all the schools as well. So, I mean, I think that's incredibly important. And I think, um, lastly, it's, it's just the, the the concept of where do people eat? I mean, where do they have their, their lunch? Mm-hmm. I mean, if everyone's taking off their masks and, you know, um, a joint hall or even in the classroom, I, you know, there is where I would feel is another layer of risk that we should try and mitigate. The issue is that we're in the middle of winter right now. So even outdoor eating, for instance, is not necessarily an option we have. So that, I think, is going to be another big question mark on how schools are going to mitigate risk while students and and teachers are, are eating. I think in last year, I can tell you my ninth grader in a quad mester would go in the morning and he'd come home for lunch and his afternoon would be online. I don't love that concept of feeling like we're going back to the beginning again, but I think you'd concur, I'd concur. Anything, any compromise is better than this right now and what last week was. Any compromise that keeps kids safe is better than this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I think that when we're in the middle of a pandemic, there's really no good choices, only tough decisions, right? And so Mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to do, making the best tough decisions we can with all the trade-offs that we have available. Parents have uh, parents have a tough call to make. I, w- I would make the case. I know. I, I and by the way, I've been reassured by a lot of people uh, on on N95s for for kids. Some parents won't necessarily do that. I think it's impossible. Similar to the vaccines right now, to be honest, I think we will get down that road for kids. But I, I don't think we can mandate, and I'm sure we aren't going to N95s. But give parents some, you know, I suppose some reassurance, especially I think at the older grades, that uh, that the N95 offers a layer of protection that the cloth mask just isn't going to do right now. Exactly, and you know what? I mean, I think with a lot of these um, N95s that are coming out now, they're actually really comfortable to wear. Like I can tell you, my five-year-old wears. Um, an N95 uh, mask, and he has no issues wearing his mask whatsoever. He he doesn't even he doesn't even think twice about it. In fact, um, and so I think that you know with practice, kids will get up to that uh, get up to it as well. But again, like I think that having the options of having a good three uh, ply cloth mask that is well fitted is still you know offering some protection. I but you know. My my personal um, advice here would be to upgrade to an N95 because it has the filtration and it has the fit. Lots of parents ask those are those are, that's great advice and lots of parents ask practical, pragmatic questions about off ramps um, for masks. We're not there right now. We're not going to be there next week or the week after that. I got that. Are you looking more towards the spring to wonder that if a teacher feels protected and has had ample opportunity to get vaccinated and every parent's had ample opportunity to vaccinate their kids? then we get more into a realm of choice. I mean, we have to go there at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping that by, you know, sometime at some point this year, we get towards um, this pandemic going more towards an endemic phase. I mean, I don't know. We're not there yet. I can't even think about it because it seems so far away. Um, But, Mm. uh, you know, obviously, I think none of us want to be in this continued state of a pandemic. Um, Everyone wants to go back to their normal lives. And, 
all we can do is make sure that we're putting in the hard work right now to try and ensure we get to a place like mm-hmm. that um, sometime this year. A couple more quick ones for you, but they're important ones. Sabina Vollmer-Miller, uh, our guest pharmacologist on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. One is, um, and I, I got to be honest, I got no time. I'm sure you don't either for for partisan politics. We need straight talk. We need to get you know get everybody. Uh, as safe as possible, and we're going to de- have to deal with with the politicization of this later. What I'm finding is politicized right now is the debate about whether we're counting COVID cases in hospitals properly. And I see both sides of the issue because you could acquire COVID going into the hospital for something else. And that case, depending on who you are and your age and comorbidities and everything, then we've got to absolutely do everything we can to protect you. We need to make hospitals as safe as possible. I also understand the public wanting more data and more information rather than less information. Is there is there a line where you're at? Has that, has that position pivoted at all? I think we're all over the map on there's a moral obligation uh, to take care of our most vulnerable, but there's there's also an ethical obligation to, to give people the most information possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that debate that we're having right now, I think the only only reason why I would think it'd be important to actually make that distinction is to maybe understand what the true severity of Omicron is. But I mean, we're seeing right now that our healthcare capacity is maxed. That's yeah. not going to change, right? I mean, so regardless of the way you cut the data, the, the, the end point is that we don't have capacity, period. Um, and then as you brought up, even people who have nosocomial infections, i.e. if you go to the hospital and you acquire it at the hospital, we've seen actually that these people end up being at a higher risk of mortality just second to long-term care homes. So, I mean, that's not great. If you're no. going in for, if you're hospitalized for another reason, clearly means you're sick enough to be in a hospital. You don't want to be getting a COVID infection at that point because it increases your risk. Um, and then the other thing with the whole with and, you know, because of hospitalizations is that we're seeing people coming in for very different reasons. I mean, the, early in the pandemic, there's a lot of respiratory support. But I mean, right, right now, if you have someone coming in with heart failure four weeks after COVID infection, would they have had that heart failure without a COVID infection? Unlikely at this point, right? And so everything is sort of related. Um, and so we're seeing that these hospitalizations are increasing as our number of cases are increasing. So they're on pace with that. Um, But what I find really ironic is that the same people who are asking for more granularity in hospital data, which is not going to change anything, are not the people who are asking for any data on schools. I mean, we're collecting zero data on schools right now. And kids are going back to school on Monday, and we're not going to know whether they're exposed, whether there's cases in their school. We have no data. And so, you know, I think that if we have limited resources... Um, should we be spending it on having this granular hospital data that is not really going to change anything downstream, or should we be collecting it on schools? I think with what you say there, um, that I think a test to stay principle, which I advocated for from the beginning, made the most sense. It made the most sense to do that as opposed to, I, I've always used my kid as an example, but if he's double vaccinated has to, and, and has a positive case, uh, which he did in early December in his class, he should be able to come back more than 14 days away with vaccination and a negative test. He should be back. That said, um, the test to stay is important. I don't know how we trace this, Sabina. I don't know how we trace a virus that is spiraling out of control. I, I, you know, I agree if it's an endless supply of money, great. But I want to use those resources to make the teachers safe and give them the filters, the masks, everything else we talked about before. I completely agree. But I mean, right now we're not we're not even doing uh, students aren't even prioritized for PCR testing right now. Right. It's only very select students who are. And we don't have rapid access tests left anymore in the province. I mean, we're getting some for sure in the next couple of weeks and months. 
But right now we don't have any of that. And so, you know, I just find it really, I find it strange that we have people who are advocating for this minutia of data in the hospital end, but we're collecting zero data on the, on the school end of things. Um, and to me, that does not make sense whatsoever. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. And, and I do think we, uh, we absolutely have to, uh, I, I think the PCR test, to, and especially for teachers, um, and yeah. it, who did we have? Karen Littlewood on did, noted that a lot of teachers from element, uh, high school didn't pick their kits up. So there's kits in boxes, tons of boxes sitting in principal's offices right now. Those should be freed up to the teachers and for students that are that are symptomatic that want to come back and don't have and, and we don't make them isolate and miss classes for two weeks, especially if they're symptom free, especially if they are. Exactly that. You know, and that's what we need to be doing right now. So we absolutely need to be putting more, investing more resources into schools because really, I mean, schools are the essential work for our children, right? And so we have to make sure it's safe and we're using every single tool in our box to, to try and have, make that happen. I hope some of the things you mentioned today are mentioned today at one thirty, and I think we got we got an opportunity to put uh, put people on blast if if that's not true, and we should. Thank you very much for the time today. I love our conversations and uh, and great to have you. It's my pleasure. Okay, some of these games come and go. Some of them absolutely uh, stick on your brain, and they and they absolutely stay with you. And then they they're like a like a like a one hit wonder. And you're like, what's the next song coming from Tony Basil? No one's asking that. But uh, Wordle might be different. It might be different. Uh, we've got Shiba Siddiqui, Gordon Rennie, uh, Dave Bradley here. Um, now I I'm not going to raise my hand up. I have not done the Wordle experience yet. Is Shiba the only one that has? Gordon, Dave, I've played it. Dave. I haven't yet. I've been meaning to, but I haven't yet uh, gotten into it. Okay. So, Sheba, explain the concept Why and why is it taking off? Why Why are Dave and I the only two people on the planet that don't you know guys, about it? First of all, you're missing out, both of you. It's so much well, fun. What? It yeah. just breaks up the monotony of you know, being at home during a pandemic. So, actually, the story of this is there was a boyfriend in the UK who was a programmer, and his girlfriend got sick. I, I don't know if it was with COVID or not, and she loves word games. So to help her pass the time, he programmed this game. And then the New York Times picked it up, and then it just went viral after that. So you just go, all you have to do is just put, just type in Wordle, W-O-R-D-L-E, into Google. I should get paid for this. And um, you have to guess the daily five-letter word. So it could be anything, anything, like any five letters. So you have six tries to guess the daily five-letter word, and then with each word that you guess, let's say I put in um, share, right? And there's an S the in the actual... That's four no, letters. No, share, like sharing, oh, the verb. Oh, sorry the verb. about that. Okay, okay. Share. I didn't mean to throw you off track. <laughs> let's say there's an S in the wordle, it'll highlight it, right? If it's in the right spot, it'll be green. If it's in the word, but in the wrong spot, it'll be yellow. And you only have six tries, and this is going viral. And if you go online, you see people, you can share it without seeing the letters, you just see the colors. But it's such a fun challenge. I'm highly recommended to you guys. I've gotten my kids into it, so now they're arguing about the wordle every day, and they're trying to compete with each other. And it's it's fun. Okay, so it's relative. How long do you think it'll last? Now, if somebody asked who our friend Jay, uh, our man Jason Chapman said, are people still playing words with friends? And and I didn't have the heart to tell him like you <laughs> friends, but but I didn't. I didn't say that. I play words with friends. Okay, I totally play words. With so friends, it's but... so it's different because that's a one on one game, right? This boyfriend has made has put twenty five hundred words in his database. Hmm. So if you think about it, a word a day. So he's got a lot of okay, but but that HQ game. Do you guys remember that? Oh yeah, I yes. Do. There's a sassy dude hosting it in a suit, and you'd get on, and you get a you get a free uh, game, and then everybody would play it at the same time every day, right? 
I did that for quite a long time. We'd be on three phones together playing it, but then that thing just hit the... It, there's a great podcast on The Ringer about why it, it just went disastrously south quickly. Couldn't this happen? Couldn't Wordle be like a thing of the past by like March, Gord? No, well, if remember Mastermind, that game with the colored pegs? Totally. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes. It's just yes. like that, but with words. And so yes. that game's been around forever, so I don't know if it's going to lose its flavor, Wordle, but, uh, you know, it, it's... Like Sheba says, it's a good time, great time to pass the time away. Okay. Are you allowed to use four-letter words while playing no. this five-letter word game? <laughs> <laughs> I could think Dave, of a bunch. Dave, I think you would really enjoy it. I think if you have an affinity for vocabulary mm. especially, that you would enjoy this game. Sheba, since your kids have been home, have you used more four-letter words verbally or played more five-letter <laughs> words oh, on Wordle? Uh, if there's anyone in our house who uses the four-letter words, it is me. So they, yeah, so once in a while it does come out. But I explained to them I'm not saying it at anybody. Mm. I'm just, you know, I stubbed my toe and that's what comes out. For our over 65 demo, she's a regular Richard Pryor. (laughs) I don't know. 35 to 54, I could come up with somebody else. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. We really appreciate it. Please feel free to share with a friend. Subscribe. Rate us as well. And, of course, a live show tomorrow morning on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto at 5.30 a.m. until 9 a.m. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. We never take it for granted, and we're glad it's growing, and we appreciate it. Thank you again.